0: Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're going to continue in Revelation chapter 4, and we are going to gather as much as we can from this text and what it teaches us about worship, because we're watching angels worship here. We're going to see these elders lay their crowns before the throne. Look at Revelation chapter 4. Right? We've been through these opening verses, and there's more to glean from them, and we will when we study verse by verse through Revelation. But for our purposes this week, and our emphasis on how we worship, I want us to continue right here. We just talked about the seven spirits of God. Look at this. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Now, we know, according to uh, the final chapters of Revelation, there is no sea in heaven. I think he's describing the floor of the throne room. It's absolute perfection. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were all around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Now, this is very brief. This is just a single verse uh, that describes their likenesses, and uh, in, 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 insofar as they remind John of like a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle, uh, but it coincides with what Ezekiel described when he looked. Okay, like the the, the Lord's hand was on him. Uh, he is uh, he he is shown. Uh, visions of God. And he describes also in verse five, the likeness of four living creatures. Now, he goes into much greater detail. If you're watching this on, on allies.net, where you could see like the number of verses that Ezekiel devotes to it uh, goes really far. In fact, actually, I think it really goes to verse 25 of Ezekiel chapter one. But we see a greater detailed description here. And if we try, if we harmonize Ezekiel's description with John's, it could be that John was seeing just one of the faces of each of four of these cherub. All right, so uh, I don't know. What artist decided that cherubs or cherubim are fat, white, flying, naked babies? But uh, that's not what cherubs look like. Rather, uh, according to the Word of God, they're indescribable. All right, it's if you just if you if you want to study Ezekiel 1 go for it we at JCM and redemption church we will get to Ezekiel 1 one day I just want to show you the the parallels between John's encounter with these four living creatures in the throne room of God and Ezekiel's encounter with these four living creatures in the throne room of God I looked and there was a whirlwind coming from the north a huge cloud with a Uh, with with fire flashing back and forth and brilliant light all around it and the center of the fire was a gleam like amber man you got to take this you got to take worship seriously god doesn't mess around look at how epic the scope how immense the magnitude is of our god the likeness of four living creatures came from it and this was their appearance they looked something like a human but each of them had four faces and four wings their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the hooves of a calf, sparkling with the gleam of polished bronze. They had human hands under their wings on four sides. All four of them had faces and wings. Their wings were touching. The creatures did not turn as they moved. Each went, uh, each one went straight ahead. Their faces looked something like the face of a human, and each of the four had the face of a lion on the right, the face of an ox on the left, the face of, uh, and, and the face of an eagle. This is what their faces were like. So, if you, if you look at Ezekiel 1.10 and compare it to Revelation 4, I think it's 7, it could be that John is seeing just one of the four faces of each of the four creatures, and they did not rotate. Now, each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. That's mind-blowing. I don't know what that means. Uh, but this also coincides with something that Ezekiel noticed about them. I think it's indicative of their hyper-awareness. Omniscience is a characteristic that is exclusive to God the Father, but nothing seems to escape the, the, the scrutiny of these angels. Okay, so these are the four living creatures. There's been much made of the symbolism here. Uh, the lion, perhaps, like the Lion of Judah. This is like a a beast of burden. This is perhaps like the tribe of... Dan, you know, the, and then one like an eagle, these seem to be, they seem to coincide with the banners that would go over the tribes of Israel. I've also heard, uh, I've also read uh, that they, they're, they coincide with the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, uh, and, and John. Uh, but what I do see is that this is Bible-wide. This is not the first time we've seen these descriptions. It can't be coincidental that there's a lion, an ox, an eagle, and a man used to describe these living creatures that are around the throne of God. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, and they they were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. Like we talked about to be holy is to be above everything else set apart and to say something three times is to put it in the superlative holy 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 you're saying the greatest thing you can about god and you're saying it in the highest form that you can that the language can capacitate he is lord meaning he's the one in charge he's sovereign he's god he's the almighty there's no other there's no other almighty this is this is a necessarily exclusive title Hence the, the, the definite article, the Almighty, who was, he's sovereign over the past. He's the Alpha, who is, he exists right now, as far as you and I know, and as we understand time, and he is to come. He's in the future. He exists simultaneously, sovereign over all of time. You and I exist right now. But God was, and he is, and he is to come. He's the Alpha, he's the Omega, and he's sovereign over all of the Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, Zeta, Eta, Theta, Iota, Kappa, Lambda, Mu, Nu, Zai, Omicron, Pi, Rho, Sigma, Tau, Upsilon, Phi, Chi, and Psi. All of it is his. He was, he is, he is to come. These creatures spend all of what we call time extolling the incredible might of god and proclaiming about him the very timelessness upon which our planet's existence depends it could not have sprung into existence ex nihilo the only way for anything to exist in the physical realm is for an uninitiated initiator from outside of time to have initiated. Now, here's where I want us to, to, to close today. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, remember them, fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Oh, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. So these 24 heavenly beings whom I believe could symbolize the 12 disciples plus the 12 apostles or the 12 or sorry, the the 12 tribes of Israel plus the 12 apostles. And speak to the completeness of god's whole entire redemptive strategy when these four creatures these cherubim when they proclaim holy 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 the lord the almighty who was who is and who is to come those 24 elders fall down all right, remember they had their own thrones. You could see this earlier in the text. This is worship right here, my friend. This is what we're going to close with today. Uh, they have they have thrones of their own. All right, but they look around the throne were 24 thrones. That's verse 4. But according to verse 10, they fall down before the one seated on the throne. And worship the one who lives forever and ever. So they leave their own thrones to bow before the one true throne. And they, say it with me, worship. That's Revelation 4.10. They worship in heaven. They cast their crowns before the throne. Here's what I wanted to leave us with before we delve any further into this and we can look more closely at their their beautiful doxological refrain. We, particularly as Americans, can easily lose touch with what worship actually is. We have developed an entire market for worship music. Worship music has become a commodity. There's an industry now for who can make worship music the best, quote unquote, and and the metric for what makes worship music better in one sense than it does in another example is really it's commercialism. It's the number of streams on Spotify, views on YouTube, tickets purchased at a concert. Now, I understand exactly how much it costs to try to do music really well for worship ministry. I'm a drummer, and and I know the drums are crazy expensive. And I'm a musician. I know that the best reason I've ever made music in my life is the music that I made for the glory of God. I've made music for a paycheck, and I've made music for stupid reasons, but the music that we make for God ought to be the greatest music that we make because it's the music that's made for the greatest reason of all. But the quality of the musical execution... has has nothing on whether or not we lay our crowns at his feet. Okay, follow me on this. We can mistake worship for an industry, and as Christians, we can suddenly speak like consumers. This has been the case for a while, but I think it was particularly exacerbated post covid and people got in lockdown and they just sort of ended up treating church like a commodity, something that they just consume online. And they would scroll and they would compare this church to that church. I didn't get as much from the worship at that church as I got from the worship at that church. And so I'm going to go to that church more so that I get more out of worship. Do you hear how straight up Luciferian that is? We're not worshiping you. I don't care how much you get out of worship. How much did you give? You pour out the feet of Jesus. Okay. I, it makes me mad because it's straight up Lucifer. It's straight up Lucifer. There's an industry. There's a market for this. And I know that tours cost money and gas costs money and diesel costs money and drums cost money. I know that you you ought to make music and you ought to make make it well. And if your worship ministry goes on tour, you ought to compensate the people for their time away from their jobs. And you need to make sure that your drivers get paid well. You need to make sure that your, your crew gets paid well for what they do. But our best musicians face the Luciferian temptation because we have invented a worship industry. When a really good Christian artist, particularly vocalists, they're prone to this more than anybody, rises up on the Christian scene and they're not very well known yet. And if they sound like world-class good, and I'm not just talking about the like good for your church. <laughs> okay. Like if you go to a, you go to a church with a couple hundred people in it, they're probably only going to be really like on a, on an objective standard, like one, maybe two objectively good singers Okay, And I'm not just talking about like the way that your mom says you sang great when you're in the kids choir. I'm talking about like how many of these people would actually get a scholarship to a decent college of music. <laughs> All right, out of out of a church of 200, maybe one of them would. Right. <clears throat> when I hear someone who like can sing circles around the top vocal performance doctoral candidate at the Eastman School of Music and the and the Juilliard School, and North Texas and and Florida State and and the Peabody Conservatory and and uh, all of the other you know whatever music school you will I always know like okay Satan's coming for them and he's going to offer them what he offered Jesus and that's just like the keys to the world and they will if they take the bait they'll become millionaires and then they will commoditize their bodies as a visual product, they will forsake their testimonies, and they will sing songs that were given to them about other things. And and they will use their voices for their own glory and their own name and their own renown. And every every great singer faces that temptation. And it is like the angel, Lucifer, who, who is designed to give glory to God, wanting some of the glory for himself. It is Luciferian. And this industry has lent itself to that. And they don't even need to go from the worship world to the secular world to do it. Christians already do it within the the worship sphere. Okay, I've worshiped God in a barn while I'm just drumming softly on a bucket, because that's all we had, with a brand new baby church plant that was meeting for the very first time. And I felt the Holy Spirit of God like it was Pentecost. And then I've also, I've also worshiped alongside a huge crowd of believers in a state-of-the-art auditorium. All right, a massive structure with an Allen & Heath digital soundboard playing on a six-ply Canadian maple-pearl drum set equipped with beautiful, exquisite, shimmering Sabian cymbals. The guitarist played an immaculate Fender Strat. The keyboardist was playing in Nord Stage, What is was it for? All right, and the singer could have dominated American, ironically named, Idol. And, and I've, I've experienced the Holy Spirit in both contexts. We at the Redemption Church strive to eliminate musical execution errors because we don't want to distract from the point of it all. All right, if you think I drum loud in church, you should see the way that I actually drum when I'm drumming for money. All right, like I will play this high off the head in church and I will play the simplest, most just like basic, obvious, like the same fills I've been playing since I was like a freshman in high school. All right, because it's not about making people impressed with my drumming. I don't want to be Luciferian in my drumming when I drum for a worship ministry. The music is merely a catalyst. It's an invitation. It facilitates. It's biblically prescribed in the Psalms, but it is not a concert. And we don't endeavor to impress. And we ought not try to compete in an industry of worship competition, commercialized worship. This is the opposite Okay, and it's the opposite of what worship actually is, according to Revelation 4. Worship is not churches competing for you where you get the most out of worship. No, no, it's not what worship is. You offer your body as a living sacrifice. This is Romans 12. This is your spiritual act of worship. Okay, you are sacrificing yourself before God. You're not getting anything. You are giving everything. So your opinion on the aesthetics of the experience is utterly irrelevant. A team of volunteers and some staff will strive with their utmost to make the music as beautiful as possible. All right, but it's not a concert. It's not, it's absolutely not. You are there to sacrifice yourself before God. You actually take the crown off of your head. And you leave your own throne and you collapse before his and you kneel before the throne and you lay your crown down before the one who wears the crown. Worship is not about you. Though there's an entire industry and market that tries to cater to your tastes and your preferences, that is not what worship is. And if you don't like repetitious lyrics, you're gonna hate heaven because that's all that these cherubim sing. So would you examine your heart in this regard? If you have fallen for a largely secular-made industry of worship, music, and preference, and if you have been comparing churches based on uh, what kind of emotional tingles you get from this worship ministry versus, versus that worship ministry, check your heart. Get off your throne, kneel before his throne, take the crown off of your head and lay it at his feet. This is how the ones who are in the throne room of God worship, it's how we should as well.